You're listening to The Raven and the Writing Desk, a weekly podcast about the writings of Chris Lester and Liminal Corvid Press. This is episode 11. Hi folks, and welcome back to The Raven and the Writing Desk. I am Chris Lester, and each week I bring you updates on my writing progress and share pieces of my fiction with you. This week I'm doing something different with the podcast. Since we just wrapped up my superhero story, Flying Free, and my next story isn't ready to share yet, I'm going to share an interview that I did with T. Morris and Philippa Ballantyne back in April of this year. T. and Pip have released their fiction in just about every way it's possible to do so, through free podcasting, through a small independent publisher, through independent ebooks, and through the big New York publishing houses. T is also a professional social media consultant, and they have just written a book on social media for writers, entitled, appropriately enough, Social Media for Writers, Marketing Strategies for Building Your Audience and Selling Books. It's published by Writer's Digest Books, and it goes on sale on December 1st, 2015. I sat down with T and Pip to discuss the different strategies for publishing, their advantages and disadvantages, and how they use social media to the greatest effect for their writing careers. So, without further ado, let's get to the interview. Hey everybody, welcome back. I've got T. Morris and Pip Ballantyne here in the studio today. Say hello, guys. Hi, guys. Hello, old friend. <laughs> so, over the years, you guys have done the independent gig. You've done the working with small presses gig, you've done the big publishers thing. And I'd just like to know what advantages and disadvantages <laughs> and lessons have you obtained from each of these different approaches to getting your work out there? It's interesting because I just finished a blog post about, because uh, this year is my 10th year as a print published author. I'm Chasing the Bird came out in 2005. Um, let me see. Should we, get, should, we, should we start with the advantages of indie? I mean, let's start, we get with, to indie? let's start with the advantages of everything that we've done. Up to oh, this okay. Point. Yeah. Mm. I mean, so so let's start with indie, independent press, mm. Dragonman Press. What were the advantages of working with with an, with a small independent publisher? Well, you're working with a small group of people, so it's very intimate, very uh, personal. You generally get some say on the cover. Yeah. Generally speaking. I learned a lot of stuff about the because I didn't know anything about editing or copy edits or any of that sort of stuff. So it was a great learning experience as far as how the whole process goes. What I want you? to say that I learned a lot about marketing. Oh yes, marketing yes. was the biggest the biggest thing that I I think I took away from working with Dragon Moon Press because Gwen Gates over there she was very honest. She said, "Keep in mind anything that you do, it's coming out of your pocket." you're in charge of your own marketing plan. Mm -hmm. And I had to figure out, okay, what's the best way? And I, I read more books about the business of books than I did about writing, which I noticed you, you for every five books you can find on the writer's craft, you'll find one book on the business behind it. Mm -hmm. You know, what's an agent supposed to do? What's a, what's a publisher supposed to do? What are you supposed to do? And I found that to be the most beneficial about working with small press. Also, you have a lot more freedom for marketing because when I went to Gwen and said, I want to podcast mm. my novel, she was like, I have no idea what you just said, but okay, sounds good. Because really, I mean, as far as big publishing goes, am I right in saying only Scott Sigler managed to get big press to let him podcast? Only Scott. Only Scott, yeah. I mean, we, we had... Ian Banks, oh, before he passed away, Ian Banks actually did, did one because I remember the stink 
that rose about that because they said, for the first time, we're offering a book. Oh, or, that's right. But we're that was offering after, a book in podcast. But that was, was after Scott had done it. And I had done it. Yes. And, you know, and, and Anybody had done it, really. And the stink that came that's after right. that. That's right. I remember that. Gosh, that was a few years ago. But even now, Ian though. Banks stepped up and he said, look, I'm I, not didn't, the first. I, I did not know this. I don't know why they, they didn't do their homework because, quite honestly... The fact that you guys were doing this first must have given them the idea. Yeah. And so I so would say that's that's podcast been friendly. Podcast friendly. And also I learned how difficult it is for some authors to actually network. Not just between themselves, but between readers. Mm. And also how some authors regard marketing as being still to this day re- regarded as being someone else's job. I think I think that's changed a little bit because it's changed, yeah. but not by much, not by much. Uh, There's still some out there. There are still big time, you know, like big authors that don't do any social media right. for themselves. But I right. think most authors these days have some. They presence. figured it out. Yeah, but um, so, what are the cons? Um, oh well, distribution, distribution, distribution da- uh, just down the road, distribution. Yeah. Cost. We are able to sell a trade paperback for like fifteen. When for some books, they were uh, as, as high as twenty and twenty-five. Yeah, and that's, that's that's expensive. That's that's expensive. There's also limitations that they have. Gwen Gatiss did a lot. She pushed the boat out. I'll give her credit. She pushed the boat out. But when it came to advertising, when it came to marketing of Dragon Moon Press mm. on a whole, they, they've got uh, not as deep pockets no, as New York. So no, there's obviously going to be limitations to what they can spend on. Um, I think that's about it for the cons. Mm. Big press? Big press. Okay, so big New press, York. Like big, big press, boy. like big boy. <laughs> that's one of our cats, Sebastian. Yes. Big boy. I'm a big boy, and my mother writes for big press. So you did it <laughs> first. So what, what, did you, what did you learn, mother? <sighs> Well, let me see. I, I found the process very similar to small press as far as editing goes, except there's more hands that touch your More book. hands, yeah. You get a different editor for copy edits and higher level edits. The cover design, I mean, I got the cover for Geist. We got very lucky. Well, yeah. Geist, we, got, we got good cover art. We got great cover art. But we, we really, didn't have we all... really did. Um, you guys got amazing cover art. I think that they can hire really good artists because Jason Chan, who did all the books of the order covers was amazing. He won a Chelsea for, for, for Geist. For the, for the Geist cover. But I didn't I didn't have any input into that cover. I just like Danielle who was my <laughs> editor just went, "Here's your cover." And that was the remember, slowest opening email but I remember ever. Her reaction to the cover, it was just like <laughs> And I know. It, it, it was it was it was crazy. Little but, knowing I would be accepting an award for it a, a couple of years later. But yeah. yes, so you get the cover design. You've got the editorial process is similar, but you just get more people on it. Distribution, however, is very different. You it's, get it's not unusual to walk into an airport. Uh, oh yes, airport. I remember know, T actually said that. Well, no, we've made it. When we're, well, my next goal is to get into an airport. Yeah. And literally, the next airport we went into, books were there. Yeah. So you you <laughs> you get your books. In in a lot more places. Cons, well... Mm. Conventions will, will roll out the red carpet for you a little more. Oh, yes, that's a, that's a pro, if yes. You're, if, if you're with a big, so, big house. So that whole respect factor is is somewhat there for conventions, and we got to New York Comic Con yeah. for those sort of things. And it was really cool to be able to give away books at BEA yeah. and stuff like that. Yeah. So you wouldn't get that with small press. There's a lot more coverage with book bloggers and reviewers. Yeah, they're and very like happy that. to send out a lot yeah. of, uh, well, they used to send out paper copies, <laughs> but I think mostly they're doing it NetGalley. Yeah, they're they're switching of, over to NetGalley to now. E, e, Cover. That's the other thing too. The biggest pro with that is uh, that they will also handle things like international sales. Yeah, they will also handle audiobooks. 
granted, you don't know whether or not you're going to be featured in an audiobook or if you're going to be sold until someone contacts you and goes, by the way, you're going to be going out in Germany. You're going to be going out in Russia, you know. And then they say something like, oh, yeah, and uh, so-and-so is signed on to do your audiobook. So there's a lot mm. more, not just distribution, but a lot more negotiations happening that you don't know about, but there are the opportunities are there. Cons. Probably the biggest con is they are working on a very tight schedule. Mm -hmm. Like if we were going to miss a window at Dragon Moon Press, if we were to be late on a deadline, Gwen would be like, well, that's okay. We're good. We can, we can just shift it. Yeah, we'll shift it. It's fine. But with New York, they're like, no, they've got a calendar. Yeah, of, a bit more regimented. Bit more of things. And you've that. got to generally hit those deadlines. Um, and no matter what the emergency, they're like, they're, they're like you, you hit those deadlines. We have, we have written on deadlines. holiday. Yeah. yeah. So this, um, that. that. The other thing, too, is that they are a little more territorial. And I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that podcasting really didn't take off with big publishers. And so they're like, you want to do a podcast. That's fine, but you can't podcast the book. Yeah. you got to podcast So that's, that's why we did the Tales from the Archives. Right. Because they were okay right. with publishing in the world, but they didn't want the novel to go out. Right. Which I well, actually I think that's okay. That's fine. Yeah, it's a, it's a pretty smart tactic because you know you create interest in the the world and the characters, and then if people want the big longer stories, they have to go buy the novel. Right. Mm -hmm. The other big advantage of Tales from the Archives is when people finish the books and they go, "Wow, that was great." It's nice to be able to tell them, "Well, you know, we also have additional stories yeah. set in the same world with some of the characters that we mentioned." And that's over at Tales from the Archives. So for people who haven't read any of the books, this is their tribe before to buy. And then for people who have read the books, this is just extra material that it's Marvel Studios like in that there's all these references, particularly in the Diamond Conspiracy, that we now make references to in the Tales from the Archives. Another con about working with New York is, oh, I can't remember now. Well, it's slow. It is slow to produce a book. Well, yeah, it's, um, 18, it's, it's a, 18 months. 18 months. Probably at the earliest. Yeah. Sometimes they've gone out longer than that. So it can seem like a long time That's until true. your book comes out. That's true. Whereas small press and self-publishing, you can get it out there pretty quick. And the other one, too, the other disadvantage, and this is where I think some people are a little disillusioned with the big publishing machine, marketing. I have actually learned that with big houses, the skills that I've learned working with small presses and marketing there, I've had to apply with, with, with big marketing. Yeah, I mean, as well. their marketing budget these days is not... It's reserved for... It's, it's, it's James Patterson gets it's it. It's reserved for James Patterson. It's reserved for J.K. Rowling. It's reserved for Stephen King. They're just very uh, risk adverse, yeah, I think. I blogged about this recently. With big houses, the bigger names, the New York Times bestsellers, they're the ones that get the advertising dollar. And Which makes no sense to me, but well, yes. Well, they're safe bets. They are <laughs> yeah, safe bets. yeah. And so that's one of the disadvantages of big houses. But probably the biggest disadvantage of a big house is there's no guarantee that you're going to stay there. There are some people that believe when they sign with New York, they're in for good. And that's just not the case. There are there It's all are, business numbers. It's, it's a business. It is a business. And that's I, I've seen some authors struggle with that, that it's become a business, but it is a business. Yeah. So you've got to find stories to tell. That you want to tell, but you also want to tell the stories that, that sell, they, they can sell. Yes. That they can sell. That they so, can uh, some in some respects, a small press and self press, you can do a lot more niche stuff that New York is really not going to do. Right. Which brings us to hybrid or what is now the, the new independent publishing. Yes. Which I find really funny because looking back on my closing. Here we go. The story of the old days, no, right? No, 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 no. This no. isn't the sitting around the. No, 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 no. no. <laughs> this is this is two thousand and two where. 
e-publishing was considered the ambulance chasers. Right now, I'm sorry, small press was considered ambulance chasers, and e-publishing was considered the bottom feeders. And that was, I heard authors say that. And well, I was a hipster e-publisher because my very first book, Weaver's Web, came out in e-publishing right, in 2002. Right. in 2002. When the total sales for the year could have, no, they wouldn't have even bought me a cup of coffee and Not Starbucks. the hipster places. So. <laughs> but the whole idea of, of e-publishing was, that's where you went when you yourself had deep pockets and you had nowhere else to go. Yeah. And it was it was considered a desperate place to be. Now, the same people that kind of kept me at arm's length are now going, oh, yeah, that's the future. Yeah. That's the future. And I'm, I'm like, well, you're nice to have you, boy. So, so what's what's the pros and cons of being of self-publishing? But, yeah, well, it's coming out of your pocket. Yes. It's, it's your investment. That's the con- we're starting with the cons then. Yeah, we're well, starting with the cons. Okay, so the, con- the, cons. the cons are it's coming out of your pocket. You're paying for everything. Of course, you can always do a Kickstarter or something like that. So there's that option. Yeah. Um, you have to do everything or organize other people to do things for you. When we do um, anthologies and things like that. Yeah. 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 I mean, we, we hired Alex White to do the cover for the Ministry Protocol. We hired editors. We paid for the stories that are in there. We did all of that, yeah. and sometimes having that skill set is a challenge. Yeah. When you cut corners, it shows. Yeah. And it's also frustrating for you when you make those investments, though, and the people that you invest in cut corners. We've kind of had to struggle with that, and it's been that's been rough. Not Alex White, though. Good gravy. I would say most of the money that we've invested in our works have all been for Alex White covers. Yes. And we just, we love what Alex does for... That's for a definitely covers. a pro. You can work with people that you like working yes. with. When you're when you're working with small or big publishing, you get the people you get. Yeah, and that's And it. sometimes that that's can be it. good and sometimes it can be bad. It really yeah. does a dice roll. Whereas with self-publishing, you can pick the people that you work with. Yeah. You can find editors and cover designers <coughs> that you like to work with. The other big plus of working... And independently is that you have a lot of freedom to pursue different things that maybe a a big publisher, even a small publisher would be like, no, I don't want to do that. But then you you get an idea and there's there's an idea that Pip and I have been kicking around for the past day or two Mm. that, that, yeah, I'm not going to mention it here, but I will say it has something to do with the diamond conspiracy and And a book there, a book and a book, a book and a book. (laughs) And just the fact that we could actually do it. The fact that we could say, we could do it because reasons. And that's the only reason, you know, and that's the thing. There's Publishers are all about, is our investment going to come back? Right. Um, right. And also because your overheads are smaller, you don't have to. Right. Oh, another pro, you get a lot more out per book. Yes, you get a lot more. You might uh, get like, t- what, tw- 20 cents, 10 20 cents, cents, something 10 like cents. for each paperback sold from a big house. You get a lot more money back if you're the producer. Yeah. Of course, yeah. you're not going to sell as many. You know, you might not sell as many. You right. might sell more. Who right. knows? Right. That's also a dice roll. It is. It's a dice um, roll. You might end up being Nathan Lowell. You might. <laughs> you might end up being Nathan Lowell. Hey, a lot of people have been kind of rolling their eyes at Fifty Shades of Grey, which started off as independent publishing, and then it became big press, and then got turned into a Hollywood movie. But there's another book that did that too, that followed the same exact path. It was The Martian. Yeah. And we've been hearing the scuttlebutt on IO9 was that the visuals of The Martian actually surpass the visuals of Interstellar. And I oh, wow. I really liked Interstellar. I mean, I know it got some hate, but I loved Interstellar. And the fact that they're saying that, that IO9 is saying that about the Martian, I'm like, okay, I'm intrigued now. Yeah. So, yeah, mm-hmm. so it's a dice roll. You don't know what you're going to get necessarily, right. but somehow that's almost fun. What what other what other pros and cons have we got going on there? Speed, obviously, you oh, can get it. Yeah, if you, speed if you, is amazing. If you decide you want to put out a novella or put out a short story or do something like that, you do it. 
Yeah. You can probably, I mean, if you want to do quality, you can probably do it in a couple of months of production. Yeah. Obviously, the writing's a different story, however long you take to write the book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, producing the book is actually a lot, lot faster. And the other thing, too, is that you can set up distribution. Ah, that was the one thing, though, that I would say has been just backing up one step concerning big publishing that I know will probably crop up. We haven't had as big of a problem with it with our independent title, but one of the big problems we've had with Big House Publishing has been torrenting. Oh boy, does our stuff love to be torrented. And and you know, I'm very disappointed when that happens. I know there are some indie publishers like Conrath and, and Howie who say, oh no, it's great when people pirate your works. No, it's not. It's money that's coming out of our pockets. Yeah. And um, But T and I have a different opinion on that. I, I, I'm also disappointed in it, mm-hmm. but I almost feel like the energy expended in playing whack-a-mole yeah. of torrent sites is rather pointless. It's a bit like dealing with Hydra. You know, cut off, <laughs> cut off one torrent and two more take its place. You know, it's a, I just feel like there's, yeah. I feel like there's something better you could be doing with your time than, yeah. than chasing down mm-hmm. torrent sites. And also, most of them have probably got um, malware, malware and stuff into, going and, yeah, in them. And, so. and, and it's usually bad scans. It's usually bad PDFs, things like that. So, so there's another thing to consider is the <laughs> fact that the people who are your target audience are probably not on torrents anyway. Right. The people who are, who are stealing stuff probably either can't afford it or are not really that invested in the idea right. and are not likely to become long-term fans. Yeah, yeah. And that's that's a healthier well, that, way of looking I at it. I think that, I mean, that's a problem for any kind of publisher. Right. So I'm just like, you know, what? But with, I don't put DRM on our stuff. No, we don't. We don't DRM Cause I, our cause stuff. Because I feel like that is just, it only ends up hurting people who have already <laughs> The exactly. stuff. Exactly. It doesn't really slow down any pirates. But um, now a con of working independently is we don't get that great negotiation power that you get with foreign rights and Hollywood rights and things like that. However, course, we do have an agent who can do that. We have an agent who is very independent publishing friendly. Yeah. And she's willing to do more than just deal with um That's Laurie McLean at yeah. Fuse Literary. At Fuse Literary. I don't think she's taking clients at the moment, but the agency is. Yeah. So they're they're very proactive and, and that sort of stuff. So what else? Uh, the, for me, one of the big pros of publishing independently is I get to design the layout. Yes. I get to design mm. the interior. You can be as picky as you like. I yeah, I mean I look at Ministry Protocol, I'm very pleased with it. I might have gone a little font happy in one or two of the one or two of the chapters, <laughs> and I, I take full responsibility for that. But for the most part, I really love the layout of the book. That being said, I would say the the classiest book that I've laid out, if it wasn't Cybrosis, it was Weatherchild. Oh, okay. I love the layout for Weatherchild. So yeah, so you have a lot more control over marketing and all of that sort of stuff. But if you're a one person or in our case a two person army, <clears throat> it can get a little exhausting sometimes. I think the biggest pro of being a hybrid author, though, is that we honestly don't play the politics game of, well, I'm New York published, and that's the way it should be. Or, well, I'm self-published, and that's the way it should be. Our attitude is, you know what? We will work with New York. We'll work with small houses if they want to do it. But, you know, when it comes down to telling the story, if nobody wants it, and we, we still believe in that story. We've got options. Oh, I came up with, with my other pro of okay. being uh, self-published. Monthly payments. Yes. Monthly payments. That's the biggest pro 
of being a, an indie independent publisher. Because you only get paid twice a year. Twice a year. And that's both a small For press New- and, and, New York. And, and, and New York. And you don't know what you're going to get. You have no idea. So with Amazon and, and all of the other e-platforms, you can check your stats daily if you want to, like I do. And, <laughs> you, know, and, you, can, and you know how much you're going to get paid in the next month. Yeah. On the New York side, it is nice to get a large royalty. Uh, it a, is nice. A nice uh, no, advance. It's nice to get an advance. It's nice to get but, the big royalty check when they happen. But I'm still a big supporter of getting that monthly number and saying, okay, that's working, that's not working. This yeah, is what we you need can to look a lot more closely yeah. at your numbers than you probably can as, you know, you only get those numbers twice a month. Wow. Was that all the pros and cons? That is, that, that's uh, 13 years of experience right there between <laughs> you and Blah. Yeah. Just Nice. So how do you guys decide which properties that you're going to market to the publishers and which ones you're going to market directly to your readers through self-publishing? Uh, we're still kind of going through that at the moment. I'm just looking it up at our whiteboard that we've got down here. Our whiteboard thinking, of awesome. Well, it's all market-based, really. Yeah. Right now, what publishers are looking for is epic fantasy. So that's what we're going to pitch. If we've got other stuff that is maybe not a big target for New York at the moment, then we can still do that. Uh, we're working on a young adult steampunk property that's from the Ministry <clears throat> 7 from the Ministry of Peculiar, Peculiar occurrences. occurrences. Yeah, that series, so, that, the series that just won the best steampunk of 2014 from RT. I, I yeah, bet that I've got, to, I've got to give an acceptance yeah. speech this month, so I'll I've give got you to remember. Yeah. So anyway, we've got this. Don't uh, f it up, Valentine. Thank you. <laughs> we've got this spin-off property, and I'm not getting a lot of uh, excitement from Laurie about it. However, she has said, you know, you've got enough fans that if you wanted to go and do that, then you should sure. self-publish it. I mean, it's totally worth it. Why not? Why not? So yeah, it's all about what books New York is looking for. And I would say that's that's been the thing that we've been doing is we've been having constant communication with our agent. And that's something I feel very lucky about. I've heard some horror stories from people who've had big New York agents and they just cut off communications. They just basically stopped talking to them. I've also heard that some um, agents just rise for their 15%, like yeah, monsters from yeah, the deep, and then descend yeah. once they've had it. We're, we're very lucky in the fact that Laurie McLean and all of the associates over at Fuse, Fuse Literary, Literary. believe in communication. They believe in talking to their authors and saying, look, this is what we need to... This is what New York is... This is what New York is looking for. This is what we need you to work on. I've pitched ideas, and Laurie tells me, marketable, kind of marketable, not a chance. And that kind of feedback helps. And the other thing, too, that I think that Fuse Literary does is they look at the authors that are willing to go that little extra mile. Who are willing to work? Laurie knows that we work. Laurie knows that we work and we work hard. And she makes the time for us as well. We're very lucky in that respect that Laurie sees that. guiding us. And and is guiding us this way. Yeah. So um, you guys obviously have done a lot in social media. You're writing a book on social media for writers. My question is, well, I have a two-part question. One is, are you using social media primarily to add value for your existing readers or to recruit new ones? Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the answer is yes. The, the ministry has its own stream, basically. At the moment, it's servicing current readers and listeners and getting them interesting content and photos and behind-the-scenes things. But we're also developing our own author brand at the same time, and right. I feel like that is actually sort of in a building phase, whereas the ministry yeah. has already got its... Has its legs. Ha- has yeah. legs yeah. under it. And I want to say in the next in the next month or so, I think I'm going to be launching a, uh, a page, my own author page. I've been 
really kind of hemming and hawing about whether or not I want to actually start up an author page. And then I thought, you know, I think it's time I yeah, did Yeah, I'm, I'm still building mine um, up again. We have a, I mean, I have a Facebook group and it's nice and all, but it does very little in getting the word out about certain things. And I'm like, I think it's time I, I went Make on ahead a public and, page. and, and, and mm. just set up a public page and do what you do on a, on a public page, which is not only do content marketing, you know, keep my Facebook feed for just fun stuff. But on the on the author page, really focus on things like, you know, upcoming events, focus on what I'm working on, focus on stuff that I find inspirational as a writer. And there's going to be some cross-pollinization in that first year where I take a lot of the stuff from the T. Morris fan page and I put it on T. Morris's mainstream page. But if you want to ever hear me rant about something, I probably won't do that on my author page. Come because, live with them. You'll hear yeah, a rant. Yeah, you'll hear, you'll hear a rant there. <laughs> but as far as ranting on other people's pages or otherwise, I will probably save that for the T. Morris account, whereas the page will be more about the business aspect. Yeah. I'm always open for new readers, obviously. I mean, my theory is the same. Buy as many books as you want. Don't worry. We'll write more. <laughs> and I feel like that our social media does both of that. We picked up new fans. We picked up new fans from the ministry, and uh, and that's great. We're we're happy with with those new fans. But we also want to make sure that the uh, the tried and true fans who've been there since Phoenix Rising that they also enjoy the the content that we're putting out there. And I think when you look at it from the point of view as well, we're approaching both new fans and the tried and true fans as just that as readers of, of a series or readers of our works. Then Mazel Tov. You'll enjoy all the stuff that we put out on the feed, whether it's reviews for the new book. Whether it's stuff like Steampunk News, the Steampunk News, or the link you just put up, that great link about uh, the oldest footage in existence of London. Yeah, that was very cool. So thinking about all the different social media tools that you use or have used, which ones have given you the biggest return on investment and how do you track that? Hmm. Well, I feel like Twitter used to be like in the golden days of podcasting. Twitter was a really great communication. I miss Twitter of 2007 to 2009. Yeah, I feel like the noise on Twitter now is kind of overwhelming the signal. So I do post occasionally on Twitter, but I'm not on there like I used to be. I'm mostly right now on Facebook, Pinterest, and Tumblr are my key ones. Pinterest (laughs) and Tumblr I really like because as a writer, you can actually register as a business on Pinterest. And once you do that, you can actually get some really amazing analytics about, you know, views and impressions and and what people are looking at what, and, and you can get lots of cool graphs and things. Tumblr is great for its ease of use, and I love how you can queue things up so you can just spend like half an hour a week lining up awesome content and then let it go. I have like a little schedule. I need to get back on Tumblr. I need. I desperately. Tumblr is where all the all the kids are at. All the youth. All the youths. Youths are on the the, uh, on the tumbles. Yeah. And I quite. uh, I enjoy Tumblr. They let me on too. Yeah. Tumblr's fun. Tumblr's fun. Tumblr's way fun. Facebook. Hmm. Facebook. We 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 do get a lot of return on investment because I've seen I've seen a lot of people sharing stuff. We actually got. It was funny. We actually had somebody who uh, who claimed that we were spamming. Yet, and I could tell this guy was a moron because. He was saying that we were spamming when it was actually a sponsored Facebook thing. And that's not spam. When it, when it's sponsored, it's not spam. Oh, yes. You know, it, That's Facebook saying, okay, they paid us money. We've got to put this in your feed. So we, we did used to spend a reasonable amount on Facebook ads, but we've dialed back and now we're kind of very selective about what very selective, yeah. posts we promote. And we promoted when the Tales from the Archives, the fourth season the fourth went season live. Started, we, we, we promoted, when the book came out. We promoted the trailer and when the book came out. Those those have been the three biggest things we and we got we got some terrific response from the book trailer. 
because of the book, we're actually starting to dip our toe into, we're collecting footage right now for a video supplement to the shared desk. But for me, that's what I've noticed. I still get a lot of joy and a lot of feedback on podcasting. Yeah, we still love the podcast. We still love the podcast. We're back on track for the shared desk. And on Tales from the Archives. Yes. So we're, we're pretty happy about that. Podcasting is still very hard to track. But what I've noticed about it is that we are able to not only give other authors a platform, we're able to tap into their listeners and their fans. And then when they get a taste of our world through their words, it benefits everybody. And it continues to make the ministry world a little deeper and a little more rich. So I genuinely enjoy podcasting short fiction. (laughs) I doubt if I will ever podcast a a long form novel again. But as far as... Same here, unfortunately. Yeah, but as far as short fiction, I get my fix that way. Someone gives us a short story. It's easier to handle. And we can handle it. And and it's just just a lot of fun. And I've been been really enjoying the Tales from the Archives experience. It's been great. Hard to believe that we're in our fourth season now. And this season, we, we may actually hit our 50th short story. That would be crazy. Um, which would be pretty amazing. That's our 15th podcast. feel old again. I know. I don't Pod- mean and to. And podcasting years, Tales in the Archives is geriatric. Yeah, but it's still hanging in there. Well, not quite as, you know. I think and also podcasting has a long tail because once you put it out there, it's there. It's there. And it it's stays there, there yeah. as a constant marketing tool for new listeners and readers and things. So um, That's true. Just uh, this past year, I've got a new super fan who's messaging me all the time and leaving me voicemails as she's catching up with making. <laughs> <laughs> and the um, the platform that I've, I've just grown more and more in love with has been Instagram. Oh, yes. You love, you love the Instagramming. I love Tay Instagram. And I'm noticing that I'm, I'm starting to figure out ways of really tapping into making the most out of Instagram and Facebook and Twitter because you can do a lot of multiple. Yeah. Oh, can, Tumblr also takes, uh, isn't it? You can Tumblr yeah, from t- Instagram. You, you, can, you can, yeah, you can Tumblr. For the Utes. For the Utes. You can, you can put stuff on there. But what I've been doing lately for my blogging, I've been doing pull quotes from blogging and turning them into little Insta quotes, into little, you know. Yeah, that's an app. Insta, and, and Insta, it's, Insta, it's an app. Insta quote. It is an app. And we were doing... Because they're nice and fun to share. Yeah, you know, people like to you know, share pictures. And when people share it, whether it's on Facebook or on Twitter or on Instagram, when they share it, the message goes with it most of the time. And I've been doing these, these little pull quotes from my blog post. It was an idea I got from Erica Napoleonto. I believe that's how I pronounce her last name. But uh, but she's a motivational speaker and uh, blogger and just an all-around... It does feel weird cool at first chick. to quote yourself, I've got to say. It does feel a little egotistic. <laughs> but then I'm very careful about the quotes that I pull. I, I make them part of the actual blog post. Yeah. And two, I make them general enough that people say, you know... What's like, that about? Can like, I go and see that? Is that what you're trying to do? Yeah. Yeah. I'm trying to make it so that people will share it on Facebook or share it on Twitter or share it on Instagram. And then go check it out. And then go actually check out the blog post. I mean, the last one, I didn't really consider it a nugget of wisdom, but people really resonated with it on both Facebook and on Instagram. Poll quote was, I don't set out to raise the bar with every story that I write. I do set out to tell the best story that I can. And I don't think that's necessarily pompous or, or overbearing or condescending. It's the truth. And a lot of people resonated with that, which I thought was interesting. So I, I get a lot of use out of Instagram. I, I wish Instagram had some analytics to offer. Oh, actually, I'm sorry, they do. It's on a, a second website. I get analytics and I track the analytics from, oh, okay. uh, it's called Iconosquare. And the funny thing about it is that the most popular image I've ever put on yeah. Instagram. Was it a cat? 
No, <laughs> it was the steampunk gangsta shot that we did. Oh my gosh, Rotorua really? uh. with Pip on one side, Gail Carrigan on the other side of me, and the woman that does artful. Oh, she made the steampunk uh, hipster goggles. Oh yes, yes. I'm blanking on her name now. I'm so sorry, but she's she's standing behind me, and they did this whole gangster <laughs> shot, and I'm I'm doing the fist up to the camera. <laughs> And that has received the most <laughs> likes of anything I've ever posted on Instagram. Even a cat. That's impressive. Yeah. You beat cats. And I, and, wow. I, and, I, and I do hashtag cats Insta-kitties. Yeah. So yeah, it's interesting what, what people, but I do see what resonates with people. Pictures. And I like working visually anyway. Visuals. visuals so yeah, yeah. So yeah. So I would say out of all the platforms, and we do use a <coughs> lot of platforms, I would say my favorites are still podcasting and Instagram. And yes, when I can do it, and damn it all, I'm going to stick with this once a week, blogging. I love to blog. I love it. I absolutely love it. (laughs) So what's on your plate for 2015? What can we look forward to? Well, well, the next book we've got coming out is The Social Media for Writers, which was originally a working title, but now is the title. It is the title. (laughs) What pretty, should we call pretty straightforward, it? <laughs> social media for writers. We have, well, I'm going to Texas to pick up this award for Dawn's Early Light. We've got Very Balticon nice. coming up. Um, we're doing a local convention, Capital Con, Capital in, in Con. DC. It's um, in we're June. doing a few few other things I like we haven't written on the board that I can't read from here. But we're, we're rolling on with the tales from the archives and we're planning to keep up with the shared desk. Hopefully get some of these new projects off our list. I actually didn't finish any book last year. I started like three. So I'm yeah. trying to finish these three books this year. I started, nice. I, I started two books. I've got two books in the works. Three, if you count the Ministry 7 that yes, I'm writing with. you're helping with me with it. And then there's this one idea that just won't let go, but I've been told by Laurie that there's just no market for it, and yet it's one of these things that if I don't write it, I think my head's going to implode, so I've got to make mm-hmm. sure that I write it. There's a lot of stuff up there, and, and before anybody asks, as far as the steampunk Moravi goes, I've been really struggling with it. And I don't mean struggling with from an artistic point of view, struggling with it from just a do-I-want-to-go-back-there point of view. Yeah, I mean, I love steampunk. And I do love Moravi, but... It's sl- it slipped down the priority it list. It slipped down the priority list because I don't want to be that one-trick pony. I don't want to revisit something that I did years ago. Um, <laughs> over, over a decade over ago a now. Over a decade ago, yeah. Do and something you know, new. I, I want to do something new. And it, while steampunking Moravi, bringing Wraith into the 19th century and giving him a submarine, I mean, yes, it felt really cool. And it felt like it was a good thing. But at the same time, I just want to make sure I'm not just kidding rehashing myself. the same thing and rehashing, rehashing the same thing. Yeah, so we got we got a few yeah. balls in the air as per usual. Over a decade, that hasn't changed. No, no, that hasn't changed at all. <laughs> all right, so tell us where we can find your stuff. <laughs> okay, uh, well, Let's you can see. the Ministry of Peculiar Occurrences dot com is where you can find all ministry related stuff. PJBallantine.com is where you can find me. You can find me at T Morris, that's T E E M O R R I S dot com. And let's not forget, at GalileoGames.com, you can actually be an agent of the ministry in the Ministry Initiative. That's the role-playing game from J.R. Blackwell and P.J. Schneider. So you can find that there. Make sure that if you are listening to Tales from the Archives, do drop us a, a review on iTunes. Because those uh, things matter. After a decade, do, that still after matters. After a decade, that still freaking <laughs> matters. And then there's the venture that we've been launching for other people that want to get into indie publishing. First, before we talk about One Stop Writer Shop over at onestopwritershop.com, let's explain this. One Stop Writer Shop is not a publisher. We will not publish books. What we will do is we will provide you the tools for you to publish your book. 
We will get you in touch with cover artists. We will get you in touch with the people who do layout. We will get in touch with people who do editing. And that includes uh, book trailers as well. We will also help you put together a social media platform or a social media strategy if you want us to do that. But we do not publish books. We provide the, the network and the tools because that is what we have seen from yeah, some people. Yeah, people are always asking, who you know, where do I find an editor? Where do I find a cover art? You know, all those sort of things. So, yeah. How do I make an ebook? We're kind know. of building it at the moment. And when the social media book comes out, we started blogging about yeah. publishing stuff over there and social media stuff. Yeah. And I believe that covers... Where you can find us. Where you can find us. And yes, the good news is all of these social networks that you hear us talk about that we're on, yes, you can also find them from our blogs. Over yeah, if you there. go to the blogs, you'll find all yeah. links to all that sort of stuff. Awesome. Well, T and Pip, thank you so much for stopping by. It was great chatting with you. It was great uh, to catch great up. Talk, great to catch up. And there you have it, folks. I hope you enjoyed my interview with T. Morris and Philippa Ballantyne. I'll have links to all the sites they mentioned in the show notes. Now it's time for the weekly writing report. I wrote 5,083 words this week, over the course of 5.75 hours, for an average writing speed of 884 words per hour. That's one of my best weeks yet in terms of writing speed. The Three Graces is now over 10,000 words. I'm not sure how long it's going to end up being. For now, I'm just trying to stay true to the characters and see how they get to where I know they have to end up. I'm enjoying the experiment of writing little chapters from the differing perspectives of my three narrators, and choosing which one to use as my viewpoint character for each stage of the story has been an interesting challenge. After this story is done, I have three more planned out, one in Metamore City and two independent short stories, both of which are science fiction with no fantasy elements. I also have ideas for four or five other stories that still need to be fleshed out. And now, some feedback. Oz Govner writes, Good day, Chris. Just imagine my best cheesy broad Australian accent. I really enjoyed your Elysian Springs story. It tapped into the retrospective feeling that is in the air on the back of the recent landmark United States decision to allow gay marriage. Unfortunately... In Australia right now, we have a highly conservative prime minister who is doing his best to throw a wet blanket on the sparks of similar legislative change here down under. You have my sympathies for that, Governor. The good news is, it now seems pretty clear that such folks are an ever-shrinking minority. People around the Western world are gaining a level of sympathy and compassion for LGBT folks that I hardly would have thought possible back in 2004, when I watched my home state of Michigan enact a constitutional amendment to prohibit marriage equality. We've come a long way in a relatively short amount of time, and the last holdouts are rapidly diminishing into history. I have to admit, I could hardly believe my timing on this story. I finished it on the night of June 18th, and the following day brought us the tragic news of the Charleston shooting, which brought the unfinished work of the civil rights era front and center in our public discourse here in America. Then, over the next two weeks, we saw the Confederate battle flags coming down across the country, and the marriage equality victory at the Supreme Court. To have this story going public right in the heart of the biggest discussion of civil rights and gay rights that we've had in years was such fantastic luck that it almost feels like destiny. Governor continues, It's great to hear your work and progress again. A big thanks also for To Walk in Shadow. It was awesome fun to slip back into Metamore City for a while. 
great progress can be made with constant, small, and steady efforts. Despite being married, both working with three children under nine, I have found the time to begin learning a foreign language. People cannot believe I can find the time, but I do. I have been studying for a year, and I am halfway to fluency, with the goal to be well fluent so I can finally get to know mine and my wife's Brazilian family when I pay a return visit in two years' time. If any of your listeners have been yearning to start something but haven't, try just ten minutes a day. After a few months, you will be astounded at the compounding benefits you make towards your goal. It's so obvious, but so many people ignore it nonetheless. Time is a currency that you truly only learn the value of once you have precious little of it to spare. That is true, Governor, and daily discipline has been a huge benefit to my writing. Another benefit, of course, came from the fact that I am no longer working a job that follows me home every night, which leaves room for me to do things like take time every night to write. Like anything else, you'll find time to write if you make time to write. And maybe that means you give something up, like watching some television or playing video games or going out with friends. Not to say that I never do those things, but I've cut back on them in order to clear space to write. And, of course, I've been cutting back on sleep. But there's a limit to how much you can do that and still function as a human being. Governor concludes, I would suggest, though, that like any well-established routine, you need to break it from time to time. I would recommend that you plan to schedule a few short hiatuses throughout your year. A brief absence, I find, actually renews my enthusiasm for the goal. I am sure your listeners won't mind. Keep it on the bright side, mate. Oz Governor. I appreciate that, Governor, and I hope folks don't mind that I took this week off from recording a story. I hope to have more special episodes like this in the future to give myself a little extra time to get the next story done. Not too often, but once every ten episodes or so feels about right. One thing I do not plan on taking a break from, though, is writing. For one thing, I've got enough of a chain built up in the magic spreadsheet now that I really don't want to break it. For another, I'm really excited about my writing, and when you love what you're doing, it really doesn't feel like work. Thanks for writing in, Governor. It was great to hear from you again. Hey, Chris. It's Nobilis calling you from traffic right after having listened to Sarah and Mildred give their well-thought-out and extensive feedbacks and realizing that I, your other chronic feedbacker, I'm probably going to sound stupid compared to them because they're all so prepared and everything. But anyways, I just listened to Flying Free and it was great. And I want to echo Sarah's invitation to other listeners to please do send in feedback. One way to do it, if you're listening in the car on a mobile device, which I often do, is to uh, stick a, an icon on your main screen somewhere, something easy to access so you don't have to pay a huge amount of attention to the phone, and uh, just start up a recording device of some kind and record your thoughts, and then when you get wherever you're going, just email that file straight off the phone to Chris. That's an easy way to do it. I do that sometimes. And if I didn't have a speed dial set up, including the extension for Chris's voicemail, that's probably what I would be doing. But hey, the speed dial works too. I may even figure out how to get the phone to uh, call it with a voice command. We are living in the fucking future. Oh my God. Anyways, I look forward to the next whatever, Chris. Thank you so much, and hope I don't sound too stupid. Bye-bye. Hey, thanks, Nobilis. 
Recording a message on your phone's voice recorder is a great idea. If you have an Android phone, the app is called Voice Recorder. On the iPhone, it's called Voice Memos. Both apps come pre-installed on your phone and ready to go. Try it out. Hey Chris, it's Sarah Testarossa. Like I said, I was gonna. I got to listen to the last part of Flying Free. I really enjoyed it. Definitely, definitely felt sympathy for Barbara and Zelda and Elias and Pierce in this chapter. That was just, that was rough. It was obvious something was going to go wrong, but the question was only what. I was actually thinking more along a kind of, you know, them all getting the crap beaten out of them, but I feel like in a way this is kind of worse. I liked how in this chapter Pierce, I wouldn't say redeemed himself because I feel like he wasn't like horrible. He had had his good moments and his less good moments. And the less good ones were mainly when he was just less sympathetic towards, you know, certain things. But it was cool to see how he had stuck his neck out for them. I did like, though, the reunion in 72. That conversation, that was really raw, raw emotional stuff. I really like how that was written. And Barbara's, like, rant. And then where she accidentally threw it at him, not just at the country, but at Elias and accusing him of being an Uncle Tom. Unless you immediately knew that saying that was not a good idea, but it's kind of also good to know what their last interaction had been, and that makes it even more understandable why their reunion is not automatically sunshine, butterflies, and unicorns shitting glitter everywhere. Exactly. Elias and Barbara had been so close for so long that it would have taken something major for them to go half a lifetime without speaking to each other. Barbara going to prison wasn't the immediate cause for that, but it was the catalyst. Barbara's experience had scarred her so deeply that anyone associated with the United States government or the military was going to trigger that pain and anger. Meanwhile, Elias had defined himself in terms of his duty to his country, just as he had since Pierce had recruited him. Neither of them was prepared for how far apart their perspectives had separated during Barbara's imprisonment, and the results were predictably disastrous. The end was so freaking sweet. I, I was just thinking, aww. And, you know, that made me remember one of the things that I like about your writing, and it's something that I really dig when I'm writing myself, is just the emotional extreme. You know, some authors focus heavily in writing one general type of emotion, and their books are always, like, really sad. But I personally get a kick out of emotional whiplash, not, like, in an unrealistic way, but when you have stories that have big anger, big sadness, big happiness. And I feel like you do a really good job with those kind of stories. Granted, you have some stories that are, like, more tilted in one way than another, but in general, I like the wide range of emotions that you write. I don't know. It's part of why I like fiction is I like getting emotionally invested in something that isn't even my current reality. It can be fun to do that. Indeed. Catharsis is a wonderful thing, isn't it? I often go to dark places in my stories, but I try to pay the reader back for those dark and painful moments when the story allows it. I'm glad you think I'm handling it well. So anyway, I really did enjoy the story, and I'm glad you included it in the podcast. I'm definitely going to have to check out the uh, Kickstarter. I think I need to share it again. But anyway, the other thing I was going to say was I wanted to thank Mildred Katie for a her falling in, and I, I really appreciated what she was talking about. She was talking about some of the same stuff I was about, the um, different movements at once, but she made a really good point about how the abolition movement and the women's suffrage were going on at pretty much the same time as well, 
and that there were people who had to make a decision. That's very true that the civil rights movement and the gay rights movement were very much parallel to that. I just hadn't thought about that, so I'm glad she brought that up. Also, I know I could tell her this directly, but this whole thing about bisexuality being seen as a myth or a phase aggravates me to no end. Somehow, I seem to have escaped that kind of criticism of myself anyway, but that might be because I didn't come out until I was an adult, by which time I didn't have people in my life and wouldn't accept having people in my life in an important way if they weren't at least LGBTQ, et cetera, friendly, if not allies or within the community. But yeah, it's very frustrating how some people don't see bisexuality as an actual thing. And I do appreciate how you do have some bisexual characters. Some of them, it's in an interesting way, like Danny Daniel. Technically, it's just Danny who's bisexual, but it's cool. I have this sneaking suspicion that practicing bisexuality would be a lot more common if there weren't such a stigma attached to it. After all, there are lots of traits that vary along a spectrum. Height, athleticism, intelligence, what have you. And even when there's a bimodal distribution instead of a single bell curve, there's usually a substantial portion of the population that's in between those peaks. It just doesn't make sense that the world consists of a huge number of Kinsey zeros, a smaller number of Kinsey sixes, and almost nobody in between. If it weren't for the social pressures to be one or the other, I suspect we'd see a whole lot more twos, threes, and fours. And to some extent, Metamore City reflects that assumption. Now, I do have to admit that I haven't written nearly as much about bisexual men as I have about bisexual women. Other than Elias, the only other bisexual male I've portrayed so far as a major character is Ezekiel Kapler in Things Unseen. I'm trying to be more deliberate about including gay and bisexual male characters in future stories, and in fact one of the stories I've recently outlined is a story about Kevin, the gay pyrokinetic from Making the Cut, and his husband Stephen who has yet to be seen in a Metamore City story. I think this is going to be a fun one to write, and I look forward to bringing it to you on the podcast. If you'd like to contribute feedback to the show, send your comments in text or MP3 audio to metamorecityfeedback at gmail.com. You can also leave a voicemail by calling area code 641-715-3900 and then entering extension 255082, followed by the pound sign. You can find me on Facebook at facebook.com slash author Chris Lester, and on Twitter as Ethereus, E-T-H-E-R-I-U-S. To participate in discussions with other fans, join our Fans of Metamore City Facebook group. Don't forget to check out the Elysian Springs Kickstarter, which is fundraising now through August 5th. We still have a long way to go to meet our funding goals, so please share this campaign with anyone you know who might be interested. Go, do it now. The link is in the show notes. That's all for this week. Tune in next time for more stories fresh off the writing desk. Until then, keep it on the bright side. This is Chris Lester, signing out. This podcast and its contents are copyright 2015 by Liminal Corvid Press. The show is released under a Creative Commons, attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives license. For more information about this license, please visit creativecommons.org.